0: We're continuing on with our series in Lent, which is getting real about where we struggle, and we all do. And this is a safe place to admit that and say that and be together in our struggles and help each other and seek God together and cry out. Here now the word from St. Paul to the early church, people just like you and me, human people, human beings. Church, that was kind of a mess in Corinth, Had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. And he tells them right in the first chapter that they are sanctified, that they're in Christ, they are sanctified. So he is incredibly optimistic for this church in who they are in the Lord, and yet incredibly realistic about their struggles and their issues. Hear this now from the 10th chapter. For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters that our ancestors were under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God as some of them did, they were killed by snakes. Do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and god is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it god always blesses the reading of god's word let's pray Heavenly Father, we come to you through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We love you. We give you glory, honor. You alone are faithful and good. As Jim said, the world is out of control. It's hard to even bear watching the news. Um, It's like getting hit in the face. Let me turn it on. We shiver and shudder for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Um, And we know there's suffering and people in pain all around us too, in our neighborhoods who are lost and who are um, poisoned by the lies of the enemy who would tear them down and destroy. Uh, We too, God, are vulnerable. And we hear a text like this and we are reminded of that. We are kind of slapped in the face with that. So be with us today. Help us to hear your word. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have partaken of a gracious God. God has fed us, provided us with so much. This church, this building, this music, ears, eyes, taste buds, love, hopefully, for you. Um, So much. Same for Israel. But Israel's history warns us that. um, We who are provided for still have this habit. Of turning against turning away from. The God who provides so well. So we got to be careful. And also. Know. That the God who provides doesn't stop providing when we're tempted. God provides a way out when we're tempted. So, that's the big picture, break it down. Israel was so blessed. They had freedom from Egypt, they had a sea that opened up. They got out in Steven Spielbergian, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, you know, special effects type of style. They were led by a legendary Israelite named Moses. They were provided for by God's miracles on the road. Israel had it all. Even the rock that gave them water when the people got frustrated and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Moses goes to God. God says, go over there and provides rock from a, provides stone, provides water from a stone. Water from a stone. Paul interprets this as Jesus being among them. As Bible scholar Leon Morris says, Paul refers to Christ and sees him, Christ, as following the Israelites and continually giving them a drink. What an image. Like when you're on that race and the people sit along the sidelines with the Gatorade and you grab it and it spills, it's going to be a take what you can. Paul transfers the title, The Rock, used of Yahweh to Christ. It's a pretty big deal because it shows that Christ was pre-existent. Anyway, Israel had miracles, food, an epic leader, Moses, no less than Moses, miracles, parting of the sea, and they had Jesus with them. And yet... And yet, nevertheless, verse 5, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Is this because God is capricious? Is this because God suddenly changed his mind like an unstable parent who suddenly you walk on eggshells and suddenly they flip out? No, no. It's not God who's capricious and changes his mind. It turns out it's Israel. It's us. For sure, uh, Paul tells us here in what is not an exhaustive list of sins, but is a list of four sins that shows how they lose their way. Idolatry, sexual immorality, and testing and grumbling. So idolatry, as scholar W.H. Mayer writes, many in Israel became idolaters. The illustration that Paul uses is from Exodus 32, where it is said that Israel had Aaron make a golden calf, And then they got up to play in the KGV it says in the King James Version that is to dance in ceremonial revelry just like the pagans did around their calf. Second besides this idolatry and dancing around a gold statue there is sexual immorality. Scholar Leon Morris describes it this way he says there were sacred prostitutes found at many shrines and in the of Corinth to whom Paul is writing this letter they were known for this but Paul's primary reference is to the incident from Israel's life in Numbers when the Israelite men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women and joined in worshipping the Baal of the pure the God that these women served Judgment came in the form of a plague and 24,000 people perished in Numbers 25. Paul speaks of 23,000, but the numbers are rounded up. Well, then we get these third and fourth sins here and they kind of go together. Paul warns against testing Christ and grumbling, grumble, grumble, grumble. The idea here is verbalizing a negative attitude toward the situation God has put them in and the leaders God has given them. Verbalizing a negative attitude toward the situation God's put them in and the leaders God's given them. And we get a reference to Numbers 21. Israel is headed to Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea and Numbers 21 says the people became impatient on the way. Think about that. They became impatient on the way. Who can relate? And then the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Well, God sends biting serpents to punish Israel. that people get bitten, then God gives Moses instructions to make a serpent on a pole. And then the bitten people look up and they live. This is a type of Christ, Jesus on the cross. That's kind sort of a, a prefiguring of that. Then there's a second reference from number 16. There's a guy named Korah. Who with 250 guys gangs up on Moses and Aaron. Says you know you don't know what you're doing so to speak. Then the ground opens up. Swallows these dudes up. And then the Israelites get mad at Moses. And then God gets mad at them. And Moses and Aaron have to make atonement before God. For the crowd that rejected them. Who does that remind you of? That's a prefiguration of Jesus in the Old Testament. But before Moses and Aaron can make atonement and get between God and the people, 14,000 of them die of a plague, but they stop further deaths by intervening and standing between God and the sinful people, which again prefigures Jesus standing between our sinfulness and God. So out of this story, we get this warning. Paul says, so if you think you are standing firm, Be careful that you don't fall. It turns out we are all still idol factories. Our culture, we are a mess sexually and we grumble constantly. This is us. Pick an idol, one of our big idols is success, the need to impress. I knew a pastor years ago as I sat across from the table, he was well-known. I sat across a table from him, and he made this statement to the effect, he had about 100, 200-member church, and he made a statement to the effect that if, if his church didn't grow to 500 members in a certain amount of time, he was going to feel like a failure. Not long after that, the pastor was brought up on over 20 disciplinary charges by his church's regional officials for his abuse of power. I had a ringside seat to the whole mess. The pastor who I learned good things from also has been a lifelong lesson for me of the danger of losing our way and making an idol out of success. What you serve will control you. And if you serve growth and popularity, That's going to own you like that. In serving growth and success, he lost his way. His statement about church growth and his identity being in that was a warning sign of idolatry in his life. He let his church's size define him more than the size of his God. So, of course, he got compromised. Now, we all, of course, we all want to see growth. But it can't be the goal. Since it's not something we can control. Our only goal is faithfulness to God. And as we do that, God will bring the growth in His time. In His way, which may or may not be our way. Sometimes you grow out. Sometimes you grow up. Sometimes you're pruned. Sometimes you bloom. This is how it is. St. Paul says it earlier in this very letter. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This isn't my church. This isn't Jim's church. This is God's church. We are the servants. We belong to God who loves us. But we're tempted toward idols that want to own us. Idols that we allow to define us. Success, whatever that means. Popularity, money, mammon, stuff, status, appearances. Looking like you have it all together, peacocking around. Even our view of the church and what we think the church should be can become an idol. We are talking about the pre-pandemic church in staff the other day and the post-pandemic church and saying, you know, everything's changed. And even pastors who've been in this longer than Jim and I are saying, this is a whole new world. It's, we're not going back. This is, this is a new thing. And nothing we've ever done has prepared us for what we're facing now in the church. If we start to serve a certain image of what the church should be or certain growth on our timetable or a certain demand of a certain kind of popularity of our church, that's going to own us more than God. And look out. That is a path to ruin. We'll lose our way. Guaranteed. God help us. So idolatry. I frame that as one form of idolatry today. There are many. And then there's sex. We have heard of well-known evangelical leaders who have fallen from their once lofty positions again and again and again. Bill Hybels, Willow Creek, resigns for credible accusations of inappropriate conduct with women. I've been to Willow Creek Church. It's It's a place to learn a lot from. Very sad. Robbie Zacharias, the dynamic and gifted evangelist and teacher, investigated for credible accusations of horrible misconduct. Yeah, Just a couple weeks ago, Bruxy Cravey, the dynamic head pastor of a large Anabaptist church in Canada, resigned for having an affair with a female parishioner. And now this week, Mark Galley from Christianity Today, whose books I've read, stands credibly accused of sexual harassment for which Christianity Today magazine didn't do squat about. And now they know it and they're repenting. It just doesn't stop. Well... Be careful if we think we're standing firm lest we fall. It can happen to anybody, anywhere, anytime. And it starts with our minds up here. We have to guard and be vigilant. Be careful if you're standing firm lest you fall. Part of the battle is knowing that you're vulnerable. And we see signs of vulnerability everywhere in the wider church. I wonder if there isn't a connection, too, between the idolatry of success and sexual misconduct. I think in some cases the two can can go together. Well, Lastly, there's the grumbling. Paul warns us about verbalizing a negative attitude toward the situation God has put us in and a negative attitude toward the leaders God has given us. This is the story of Israel. Debbie and Donnie Downers on steroids. This is Israel. Paul's language is very ominous here. It's deadly. Serpents. I mean, did you hear that stuff? Serpents biting people, ground swallowing people up. But isn't that what toxic toxic language does anyway? Existentially, if you're verbally toxic and negative, you know the SNL skit with Debbie Downer and Rachel Grouch? It's very funny. Um, classic. Classic. But what that, it's kind of humorous, but what this does anyway is it toxifies the atmosphere. It swallows you up anyway. It, it, uh, is a serpent of a sort, of a sort that bites. We need to be very, very careful about the voices we listen to and how these voices affect our voices and the ways that we talk about church, our communities, Other people in the body of Christ with whom we disagree. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again and again and again. There are news networks making millions, tens of millions of dollars out of keeping people mad all the time. No interest in mutual dialogue and growth. It's just to keep you in your reptile brain like you're fleeing a grizzly bear. And that's great when you're fleeing a grizzly bear, but it's not good for building a society. It is toxic. And we as a church... Uh, one of my dear, one of my deepest felt projects as a Christian leader is to call us to restore civility and to be the vanguard of restoring civility in a culture that has become so vicious and so toxic and so nasty, and everybody's canceling everybody right and left. And I'm all for disagreement and healthy debate. That's great. We are far from that. It is vicious and nasty and contagious, and we are our own serpents, and our own toxicity is swallowing us up. And God. Delivers us from that. Well, idolatry of success and other stuff, sexual temptation, and grumble, grumble. Paul says, be careful if you think you're standing firm, lest you fall. And then he says, basically, look, everyone faces these struggles. You notice the realism here. I love the realism of scripture. He's saying You're going to be tempted. No temptation, though, has seized you, he says, except what is common to everyone. So the assumption is temptation will come. That is a given. That is expected. You're on the highway. Expect it. You're on the highway of life. Life was a highway. We ride it all night long. You're going to get temptation on that highway. That is a given. Expect it. But that's not the only thing we can expect. We can also expect this. Verse 13. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when, notice when you are tempted, it's coming. It's going to be there every day. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. If life is a highway and we ride it all day long, temptation is guaranteed to roll up again and again. Know this. God will always provide an off ramp. God will always give you an off ramp. Maybe immediately in the moment, maybe ahead of time, or maybe even after you've been down that road a while and you've been naughty. We've been naughty and God says, Hey, you can still get off here. I knew some, I knew a guy, a couple guys I've talked to over the years who when they were on business trips, They would go and disable the cable TV in their hotel room so they wouldn't be tempted while they were alone on business trips to watch naughty things on late-night television, right? That's a way of creating your own off-ramp, right? And there's all kinds of stuff out there that you can get out ahead as you map out your life, plan your own off-ramp. But there's assurances here. It'll be there, guaranteed. So the question is if we know we're going to be tempted and we list these sorts of temptations among many others toward grumbling, toward sexual morality, toward idolatry we assume that's going to come we also can assume off-ramps are going to be there so the question to ask is what's, what blocks us from our off-ramps what prevents you and me from taking the off-ramps to freedom from temptation that God provides consider this If you fall under sexual temptation of some kind, sometimes shame can be a roadblock to the off ramp that God provides. God provides a close friend or confidant with whom you can confess looking at things on the internet you shouldn't look at or even tempting thoughts or a past experience. You have a place to confess that, but you're too ashamed to do that. So shame is a roadblock. And some of us, I didn't, but some of us grew up in churches. Where shame was leveraged as a way to transform you. To shame you. That's anti-gospel. We don't shame people in a transformation. We love people in a transformation. Come here. I want to be, as your pastor, that safe space. Jim does too. Other elders here do too. We strive for that. You know, that whatever you're dealing with, come to us and tell us about it. And we'll, we'll tell you, you know, what we think. We, but we'll also love you right there. I would say to young, I'd say to, you know, college skaters or something, hey, if you wind up in a chicken coop with your eyebrows shaved late at night, wait, and you, and, you, and you need someone to come rescue you, call me or whatever, you know? Or whatever wild scenario you can think of. You know, I'll come pick you up and we'll talk about it later or whatever, you know? Whatever scenario you might be in, we want to be here. Not, we don't shame people. um, so sometimes the shame becomes a roadblock that keeps you from taking that off-ramp to get away from temptation. Sometimes our expectations become a roadblock. If we fall into the temptation to be negative or to grumble, sometimes our expectations become a roadblock. They become so profound, like Israel had a certain expectation of the way life should be in the wilderness. And that became so big, so live for them, that that's all they could see And it blocked them from seeing and celebrating God's presence in the off ramps He was giving. Say, I'm over here, I'm over here, come here, I'm providing over here, I'm over here. But they were, their, their expectations were so big. Sometimes people do that with church or with life. Things don't go well and we lose the opportunity to escape our negativity over that. Or if we fall into idolatry of some kind, like idolatry of success or idolatry of a certain measure of success our momentum toward that idol makes us blow right past the off ramp that jesus provides we're speeding toward that idol like my friend who was that pastor gotta grow gotta keep growing gotta keep you know and it goes from being something you desire to something you require something you got to have you know and you get so caught up in it you blow right past jesus on the road to saying come here Come here. I love you. I define you more than your success. Let me give you a hug. Let me let me hug you, welcome you unconditionally so that you can be free to take the risks that now you're too afraid to take because you don't want to become unpopular. You see? You see how that grips a hold on us? And he wants to free us from that. But he's sitting there on the side of the road going, hey, I'm here, and we blow right past him because we are chasing our idols. Well, he's still there. This is really particularly important for the church because a lot of times... Uh, church gets caught up in the idea of success and we miss the idea that a lot of times following jesus is maybe going to feel like failure like the cross and like pain and like hardship and it's going to break our hearts and and we're almost culturated to think that that's not normal that that's strange or that means we did something wrong no maybe it means we're following a crucified lord (laughs) and that's why we need to embrace him and love him try to love somebody in the kingdom or minister to somebody and stick with them and see if your heart doesn't get hurt sometimes at the very least it's hard so you cannot, you, you won't survive if you make an idol out of ministry of success. That's going to own you. You're going to miss the whole thing. Why we need to embrace Jesus on the off ramp and let him hold us and remind us, I love you unconditionally. It's not about success. It's about following me. And sometimes it's going to go great and sometimes it's going to be painful It's the cross. It's going to be a cross. Here's the thing. If we want to be freed from the temptation of idolatry, we got to spend time with the real thing. The one who loves us, the real deal. How's that going for you? Quality time with God is the ultimate antidote to temptation and idolatry. Mm. Well, I think we're all about that here and we want to keep growing in that. Hold me Jesus from shaking like a leaf like the great Rich Mullins song says. The classic album, Liturgy Legacy in a ragamuffin band, great album. Hold me Jesus because I'm shaking like a leaf you've been my king of glory will you be my prince of peace temptation comes it will come god provides for sure may we walk with him let him hold us and grab us deliver us he's waiting he's able may it be so for me and you in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen